welcome to episode 50 of Friends in Film, a podcast we talk about race movies and theatrical releases. I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by Josh Bailey. On this episode, we're going to talk about Ruby Rose joining Pitch Perfect, the Dunkirk trailer, DC announcing another movie, and more, all before we review Rogue One, a Star Wars story. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes at Friends in Film. Josh? Hello, everybody. Hello, Cooper. Welcome back for Star Wars week. Yeah. Like my favorite time of the year. Big week. We got Star Wars. It's our 50th actual episode. Woo! So, big week. Yeah, absolutely. And then you, sir, had a week. I did. I, As far as I know, I graduated college. So, uh, unless... Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, if you... Maybe, maybe you'll come back next week and you'll learn that, oh, I actually... F- you know, failed this class, but that is not expected to happen. <laughs> so yeah, it would be, uh, and it, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting week. Cause my car died yesterday, right after work, rush hour, right by oh, the mall in a goodness. turn lane. It was just absolute mayhem. People were honking at me, getting real mad. I had to get a cop, uh, to come like jumpstart my car and leave the pack charging it. And like, Oh man! Had me do a U-turn and leave it, and then I was like, that took like forty minutes. My heat wasn't working, so I'm freezing. It was like six degrees. I say the weather was and brutal, dude. Yeah, and then I'd end up having like go into like a T-Mobile store, and like I was like, hey, I'm just I'm just chilling, like yeah. I'm just looking. They're like, why are you really here? And I was like, my car died. Uh, I've been out in the cold for forty minutes. Mm-hmm. My phone just died. Uh, they're like, oh, do you want us to like charge it for you? I was like, that oh. would be. That's great. Awesome. Because it just died because it was so cold. Yeah, I had that happen the other day. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's been an eventful uh, couple of days for me, but went to a wedding this morning, doing the podcast now, celebrating graduation tonight with the fam. So it's turning around. Hey, yeah, there we go. And yeah, we got Rogue One to talk about. Did you see any other movies this week up you until know, Rogue One? The only movie I watched this week was just reviewing episode six with my little sister before... We went to go check it out, and why episode six? It was the only one she hadn't seen yet, okay. and we had been rewatching them all the way up to together, and that was the last one we had to do. All right, so and she enjoyed it. Uh, Good. She thinks that Job of the Hut is like the slime. Like she just thinks he's like the most vile thing ever. But he is also, disgusting. Uh, anytime she saw that, she's like. That's that's a puppet, right? That's yeah. a really good puppet. And I was like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I I was uh, binging Star Wars this week just to try to watch all the movies uh, before I saw Rogue One. Ended with the prequels. First time I think in my life I watched the original trilogy and then the prequels. Like in that order. In release order. And it was, oh. You don't like the... I did not like that. Oh, man. Because normally I'd go one, two, three, four, five, six. Mm-hmm. And basically each movie gets better yeah and this way i was like great 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 oh and i was like i don't this is not the best way to go into rogue one but (laughs) my star wars level was lower yeah so maybe that helped some people recommend like they think they call it the machete machete order Yeah. yeah you do four five and then once you learn the secret you go to one two and three and then you finish with six um, but I also recommend just chopping off. I've heard chopping off one. At one and then doing two and three. That's yeah. the best way to go. That w- I mean, that would have been a good way. Uh, unfortunately, that's all we got. <laughs> Hindsight but, is twenty twenty. Yeah, so uh, we're going to eventually get to our review of Rogue One. But before we do, we got some news to talk about, starting with the flyby. 
uh, Samuel L. Jackson revealed that he's begun recording Incredibles 2. Heck yeah, man. I mean, when they announced that slate of uh, new Pixar movies, uh, learning we were getting Cars 3 first was a little bit disappointing, but knowing that Incredibles 2, the one we've been waiting for, is finally in the works. Uh, with Samuel L. Jackson back, I think this is the first time we actually heard that. I think he's been great. confirmed before, but yeah, the fact that he's actually beginning recording now, yeah. right before the turn of 2017, we know the movies got moved up to 2018, mm-hmm. so we're just, we're just that much closer to eventually seeing uh, something from the Incredible Family again. So cool. Uh, but... In title news, we got some new official titles for a couple uh, upcoming films. Pacific Rim Maelstrom has now been retitled to Pacific Rim Uprising. Godzilla 2 has now been retitled to Godzilla King of Monsters. And the uh, untitled Pikachu movie has now been called Pokemon's Detective Pikachu. So it's Pacific Rim 2 Uprising or Pacific Rim? It's just Pacific Rim, Rim Uprising. Yeah, everyone's throwing out the numbers. No one wants like to do it. that. I know, I like it too. And then I think Uprising almost like confirms a Pacific Rim 3. So, In what way? I mean, Uprising. You can't just end with an Uprising. You gotta have a conclusion. That's, that's what I was, that's what I, because I wrote uh, an article about this for Screen Rant and my... I had two ideas about what the title could mean. If it's like an uprising of like the people or something, or if it's like just showing like there's another monster that's going to be rising. Yeah. Which I, I think it could maybe mm. go both ways. Um, but I, I hope it's more of like human conflicts. Yeah. Uh, but still lots of Jaeger fights and everything. Oh yeah. You got to have those robots. Yeah. Um, but I like the Godzilla title just cause it means we're going to see him fight a lot more monsters. Mm-hmm. Pokemon title I don't even care about because it's so generic. All they did was add Pokemons. Yeah. <laughs> so. And confirm it's, yeah, Detective Pichu, so whatever. Um, but Variety revealed this week that Ben Mendelsohn has joined the cast of Robin Hood Origins as the villain. Ooh, which would be the sheriff? Uh, yeah, I think so. That's typically who he goes up against. Yeah, it's because uh, it's Taron Edgerton as Robin Hood, and yeah, then uh, Jamie Foxx is in there as somebody, and now... They have Mendelssohn, so... I'm coming off Rogue One, man, I'm all about that. Yeah, I have uh, many times professed my uh, fandom for Mendelssohn, so him joining the project makes me interested. They have a talented cast. Uh, I don't know if I need to see another Robin Hood movie uh, or how this one's going to be different than yeah, the other ones. Yeah, one was pretty brutal. But we'll see. Uh, a move I am excited about, however, is uh, Ruby Rose has joined, or is in talks to join pitch perfect three. Oh man she's getting things left and right and this i think this is the perfect fit um i i know her from orange is the new black mostly she's just got that role with statham in uh, uh meg meg yeah the shark movie yep. uh and now this so this is gonna be great this yeah. is like a perfect fit she uh i admittedly i've never actually seen her in anything but i've seen her in the trailer for like triple x return of xander cage not impressed by that movie, <laughs> but uh, I think she could like she I like this move for her because it is branching her out more because she's doing triple X mm-hmm. and then she's doing John Wick and then she or she's doing the next Resident Evil movie. Uh, so she's like in all these like big action, like blockbuster type movies and to see her then go from those to this, I think it's a really interesting transition. 
Uh, I'm not sure. Do you have an idea of like maybe what kind of role she could have? I mean, if, if she's kind of they're bringing her in from her experience and like other roles, she could be like they could be going to like the street and like the underground, yeah. like you were talking about forever ago. Uh, I mean, there's so many ways that uh, you could take that. So. Yeah, I think that that was definitely when I saw. I was like, oh my gosh, they might actually be going underground. Mm-hmm. This may actually my my dream may be happening. Um, but the other way I think it go, which would also be just as interesting is if, uh, cause at the end of pitch perfect two, it is just Haley Steinfeld's character. Basically it's one we know that's still in the house. The Bellas have kind of broken free of that like, traditional Bella, like up, like perfect, yeah. like woman type thing. And if they went, if she, if like her first move as like the head of the Bellas was to bring in somebody like Ruby Rose, who doesn't. He's just look like a prototypical Bella. Right. Maybe she doesn't act like one. Just like to change things up a little bit. I think that'd be cool. Or, but I'd still like to see her be like a rival, all female group underground totally. challenging the Bellas. I think that'd be a very cool way to go. Um, but moving on to other news, uh, we got a trailer for Boss Baby. Yes. This week that you shared. <laughs> So talk about it. Okay, listen. So Alec Baldwin is the best, but this is DreamWorks' new animation movie for 2017, uh, and it stars Baldwin, Lisa Kudrow, Jimmy Kimmel, and a couple others. And it's all about babies trying to fight for the affection of humankind against puppies. (laughs) And uh, Alec Baldwin moves into this house as a baby and just starts, you know, like planning out how to take over uh king of the cute with you know local other area babies and it, i think it just looks hilarious <laughs> this movie looks so dumb i know that's the best part <laughs> it was just like when i saw you share this i was like why <laughs> i don't want to talk about this movie like i was avoiding marketing because i was like alec baldwin as an animated baby like what's it's, what's the appeal here it's the the well the whole appeal is like it's a little baby in a suit and then all of a sudden he talks with alec baldwin's deep yeah. and like uh, authoritative voice and it's just like that does, that's not right <laughs> yeah it's just weird like it reminded me of this old movie I used to watch as a kid called uh, Baby Geniuses um, I don't know if any of you guys I, out yes, there yes I do remember that and like that was a movie like as a child I would watch all the time and like thinking back to it now I'm like that is a weird movie mm-hmm. super weird and that was the first thing I thought of when I saw this trailer I was like I, I'm out sorry I <laughs> uh, hope <laughs> no offense to Boss Baby but I really hope we don't have to review that movie because I don't want to see it I'm sure I'll be talking about it though but yeah moving to a animated movie I am actually looking forward to Despicable Me 3 oh, got yeah. its trailer this week uh, Gru is back voiced by Steve Carell uh, it it's Kristen Wiig mm-hmm. is back. I don't remember her character's name, um, but then it's like his girlfriend. Yep. They're secret agents or yeah. something, and then there's like an all '80s villain uh, voiced by uh, the guy who created like South Park. Yeah, Bal. He, the villain is Balthazar Brat, and he's yes. voiced by Trey Parker, who yeah. I think this is like his first time outside of like so. South Park. Yeah. You know, in a while, anyway. So I, I was honestly not looking forward to this with me three i thought two was good and like, kind of funny but i didn't like expect to like see a trailer for this with me three and be like that's a movie i want to see mm-hmm. but and that might be because the last despicable me movie i saw was minions yeah and that was just so terrible yeah, really big um time. but i'm actually like this trailer made me laugh i thought it was i thought it looked kind of clever i like like balthazar yeah. Blatt or whatever like it just looks 
funny in a way that Minions was not, and like the and that the first two Despicable Me movies are. Yeah, like the beginning, I was rolling my eyes, and then as soon as he like started, he clicked the jam box. Uh, Trey Parker's Balthazar. He started dancing and grooving, and then the security people were like, "Who is that?" And he's like, "He's the grooviest supervillain of yeah. them all." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, this has got some legs." And you know, the Minions. I think the Minions are classic. Like they're they they stole the first movie. They were the great in the second movie, and I'm sure they'll be just as great in this third one. Yeah, but the big trailer of the week, maybe uh, depends. Uh, yeah. Fate of the Furious. Uh, what used to be called Fast Eight, they've now changed to be the Fate of the Furious, and we got a trailer for it. And oh uh, this, I guess I'll say, I've actually kind of enjoyed the last couple of Fast and Furious movies because yeah. they're just they're crazy over the top action, not good acting, but like they're just enjoyable to watch as like a popcorn, just like stuff your face with popcorn type movie. Mm-hmm. And so Fast 8, I'm like, okay, they got Charlie Theron, F. Gary Gray's directing this. What's going to happen? Like this, Kurt Russell's back. Like you got all these things working towards you to make it look yeah. good. I'm like, what are they going to do next? Like they're jumping out of buildings last time. What, what are they going to do next? And then this trailer jobs, and I was like, this is the, the dumbest thing <laughs> I've, I've seen from this franchise maybe because – Not a fan. No, because I mean the the last seven Fast and Furious movies outside of Tokyo Drift, I guess, have yeah. been based on the idea of family, and family comes first, and it's all preached by Dominic Toretto, played by Vin Diesel, mm-hmm. and in this trailer, it's just like, nope, he's a bad guy. You're just like, wait, what happened? Why is this the case? Uh, why is Jason Statham, who used to be a bad guy, now working with the team? Yeah. Like, it it doesn't make any sense. And I don't understand the, this this new trend. Like the last like two big trailers, Fate of the Furious and Transformers Five, the main good guy yeah. is now turned evil, and you're like, <sighs> make the hero stop. The I don't I don't like the, that that like I don't like that concept in these types of forms. And I was like I was ready to watch this trailer, think it looked over the top, ridiculous, kind of stupid, mm-hmm. but still be interested to see this movie. And instead, I watched the trailer. I was like. This is just so dumb as a movie yeah. that I am not looking forward to this anymore. <laughs> yeah, the franchise is, is it, it's continually being it's continually uh, going to be an assault on our intelligence. With the exception of Seven, I really think that was just a beautiful piece of cinema uh, as a whole. Like, yeah. not just a dumb, tr- you know, racing. <laughs> Uh, over the top car movie, but just a really a, a solid film all the way around. And uh, this is just like, what the heck is even happening? Vin Diesel looks like he's brainwashed by Charlize Theron. There's a submarine oh my emerging gosh. from the depths of the Arctic. There's uh, Ludacris finally has his tank that he's been dying for for the last like two films, and it's like. They've pulled out all the stops, and I mean, you've got Jason Statham back, you've got Kurt Russell back. I mean, um, The Rock is there, Diesel's there, and Helen Mirren. She's in there. Has somewhere. a movie coming along as Charlie Throne's mother, maybe, possibly, and like maybe Throne is so Statham's cool. sister. Yeah, like she could be a Shaw as well. Like all those elements sounds so great but when you start your trailer with a wrecking ball just demolishing like 20 different cars and then vin diesel goes rogue you're like 
Oh, oh, okay. They're not changing at all. No. The wrecking ball is like, okay, I guess that's something that we haven't seen. But our the first time I rolled my eyes was like the the song choice. Like the first three words was like, it's it's gonna be lit, and I was like, oh no, oh yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is going down a bad path already. And it looked like they were trying to incorporate some James Bond with the Rock uh, on the jet skis and yeah. the snowmobiles. And I'll all say that. the Rock prison fight is probably going to be the highlight of this movie Definitely. without a doubt. Um, but I do think that like this is basically just like a setup movie in a way to have the rock. This concept is probably a way for them to give the rock the lead, basically lead the team, have Toretto still be involved, but be off to the side. And then they can do a Hobbs spinoff movie where it's the rock as Hobbs doing something else or a good cop, bad cop with, or a bad cop, bad cop with the rock and stay them. That would be bad cop, bad cop. <laughs> good cop, bad cop. Oh, they said bad cop, bad cop. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, other guys love it. Classic. Um, but let's move on to the actual big trailer of the week. Uh, oh, yes, please. We got a teaser for Dunkirk a while back, but now a full trailer has arrived. What'd you think? I thought it was beautiful. Um, and that's the that's the first word to describe it. The second is magnificent, and the third would be uh, incredible. Be, uh, Christopher Nolan, his movies get you know praise for their mind bending stories or their um, great visual effects, all all rightfully so. But each movie he makes is just stunning, like across the board visually, and Dunkirk is no exception. Um, from the looks on the beach to you know the terror that people are going through and the. the the ocean and how it doesn't look like anyone's friend in this. And then um, the shot of all these boats flocking towards uh, the bay, uh, you know, looking to evacuate British soldiers was just absolutely amazing. And then you add all the emotional ties to it. I, I, I was in love. Uh, I was in love as soon as that trailer ended. Um, I'm a Nolan fanboy, Cooper. Am I, am I overhyping this or what? Uh no I I think the trailer is really good I think you you watch it okay you don't get you get you don't get really anything out of the story outside of okay these soldiers are trapped basically near Dunkirk find a way to survive cool uh like you said there's a lot of great shots it looks beautiful but in typical like Nolan fashion you don't like that's it like you don't really like learn anything about the story there's no like. There's no like money shot that like you get at the end of like Spider-Man Homecoming or something or like sure. that. There's not that signature moment from that trailer. I'm going to be like, remember, oh man, I remember the first time I saw that shot in the trailer. And like I was underwhelmed by the Interstellar trailers because like, I just don't know what this movie's about. Uh, it's just. And marketing it, was super weird. And like, so I was, ex- I've expected not to be completely blown away by Dunkirk. Like the marketing, I expect to be blown away at when the actual film comes out. Uh, and I could actually like see it, but from the marketing perspective, it doesn't do anything for me. Okay. Uh, but I'm still like super excited to see this movie. Uh, I am. St- it is a little weird that it's coming out in the summer with like the way it looks. Like it looks like an Oscar movie, mm-hmm. and I think it could get Nolan an Oscar. So I'll be interested to see if maybe they push it. That's my hope, man. Uh, I hope they don't push. Oh, I hope they don't push it though. <laughs> that yeah. would be devastating because I've been waiting for this for a while. Uh, I mean, practically since Interstellar ended. Right. And yeah, you mentioned there's no money shot, and that's definitely true. The the 
poster, the accompanying image they put out mm-hmm. with it. Uh, I like that. It's a sort lot. of, sort of, is supposed to, you know, be that. It's. I think it looks like it's Celian Murphy. Uh, yeah, or, it's hard. It's hard um, to tell. Kenneth Bronigan Br- uh, standing on the a beachhead, watching, looking at uh, U.S. or mm-hmm. you know British uh, cruisers just on flames out in the bay and uh, yeah. oh man I was glad that we did actually because this is like the full trailer outside the teaser we did actually get to see Tom Hardy Kenneth Branagh uh, Cillian Murphy Harry Styles even like we got to actually see the cast members like kind of in their roles is Tom Hardy a part of the Luftwaffe or is he in the the British Air Force that's what like I had, I, couldn't somebody, tell. I had somebody asked me that too and I was like I'm I'm not sure I, it could go either way I would tend to think that he's on like the like I don't know what side the good side, but Allied like, powers. Yeah, like he's he's with the other main people, mm-hmm. and that like it's it's cut in the way where like he gets in that jet, and then you see jets flying and bombing the troops, and you're like, oh boy, oh okay, so Tom Hardy's not a good guy, but a I would find it kind of weird if the one army had bombers and the other one didn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> like. So I don't know. I don't know anything about like the like yeah. how this event played out or anything, but uh, it's a good trailer. Definitely. So uh, it's a big week for Star Wars, but it is a really big week for DC news as well because we have four more stories, and one of them is like six stories combined. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Um, all related to DC and their upcoming slate. Uh, and the first one we're going to touch on is we got a villain for – Aquaman, Jason Momoa can now know that he's going to be fighting Patrick Wilson. So Deadline is reporting that he is going to be playing the villain of the movie, uh, the half-brother of Aquaman known as Orm, who's also known as the Seamaster. So you like this casting edition? Uh, well, Patrick Wilson has been in every horror movie that's ever like truly terrified me. Um, Insidious, one and two, and then both The Conjurings. Uh, so I like him; he's good. But the Ocean Master sounds like a. I don't know how he. How does he fit into this? Because I thought we were getting like a Black Mantis type, you know, Civil War Aquaman movie, and this guy is like full human, right? He, yeah, he's he's a human, and yeah, Ocean Master. I don't know why I said Sea Master, uh, but yeah, Ocean Master. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I like, I do like Patrick Wilson. It makes sense. He is a longtime collaborator uh, with James Wan mm-hmm. uh, with both the Conjuring movies. I'm, I'm, did James Wan do Insidious as well? Is he a producer on those? Do you know? You know, no, you don't know off the top of my head. Okay. Well, either way, he like he's done a lot of work with James Wan, even going to like Zack Snyder and his DC connections. He's in Watchmen. He's in other Snyder productions as well. So, yeah, him joining is not a surprise. Um, but, yeah, I was like, oh, so what about Black Manta? Apparently he's still going to be in the movie, but it's going to be a dual villain threat. Yeah. Um, which could work. I hope it does. Uh, I like Patrick Wilson as an actor. He was supposed to be a villain in Ant-Man originally before Edgar Wright left. Uh, huh. But... Yeah, I, th- I think this should play out. I don't know how Ocean Master necessarily fits in because, granted, we don't know a lot about any of the story elements to Aquaman uh, at all, really. So if this means, like, 
there's a huge ocean battle against the humans or something. I think that'd be super cool to see. So yeah, like some of the stuff I've read about him, like just up in the run up to the show today, was like they describe him as like a high tech pirate, <laughs> which could be super cool. But uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm really curious to see the direction of this. Yes, me too. Um, speaking of direction, Ben Affleck is directing the Batman, Ooh. his solo nice uh, adventure. And he told Variety this week that the film is on track to shoot in the spring, um, which was then followed up uh, a couple days later after Greg Silverman stepped down or was fired Mm -hmm. from being the president of Warner Brothers. And then he confirmed deadline that the movie will be out in 2018. Oh, the prayers have been answered. Am I right? Uh, I mean, this was something you were kind of worried about when we learned that Justice League was getting pushed back and uh, Batman was sort of in that unrelegated territory. So this is good news. Yeah, yeah, it's very good news. I It does make me wonder, like, what could, so why did the Batman, like, push back Justice League if it's taking, like, a summer 2018 spot, most mm-hmm. likely? That doesn't make any sense, but I would have been shocked, like I said, like, in the last week, like for this movie to wait till 2019 to come out, not only from like just trying to capitalize on the bat flat hype, but also from just a filming perspective, you shouldn't need two years to film, edit, pick up shots and then cut the final movie. Like that, that's not how it should take, especially for somebody like Ben Affleck. Right. So a pros pro. I'm glad that this is uh, on track for 2018. Yeah. And uh, I, it's, it's got so many great elements with it already. I mean, the, the, the tease of them employing Batman's massive rogue gallery, uh, Deathstroke making his first, uh, cinematic appearance. I think. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, 2018 is perfect. Yeah, it's looking. It's definitely looking up. Uh, I'm still interested to see when exactly it will hit. I'm guessing summer would seem most likely. Still a lot of questions about DC slate as a whole. Yeah, but no it's glad to. I'm glad to see that this area has been shored up a little bit. But really, the big news coming out of DC this week was we learned finally what was happening with the Harley Quinn spinoff movie. Uh, according to the Hollywood Reporter, it has now been titled Gotham City Sirens, uh, which is a comic book run as well. Uh, David Ayer is going to be re- directing the project after previously doing Suicide Squad with Margot Robbie uh, and be the one to introduce Harley Quinn to live action. Uh, Poison Ivy and Catwoman are rumored to be members uh, of this team. What do you think? Uh, yeah, this sounds great. I mean, Margaret Robbie and... Ben Affleck have been the the standouts, the saving graces of all these Warner Brothers films, uh, DC Warner Brothers films for the last year. It's only been a year. Wow. What a year. Uh, So it makes perfect sense to get Margaret Robbie uh, in her own movie as well as, uh, you know, any of the supporting cast that they can get around her. Yeah, I think uh, finding more info about the Harley Quinn movie is not a surprise the most surprising thing to me was that it is that David Ayer's coming back to direct. Yeah. After it seemed like he did not work well with Warner brothers or Warner brothers did not work well with him. But apparently this was at the request of Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure why he was still signed on to it then, but hopefully they've worked out their differences or not to work together now. And we can get an actual David Ayer 
quality movie uh, yeah, out of this. Uh, but holy moly, it is it is interesting. It raises a, I think a couple of questions. Uh, the project is being fast tracked according to the Hollywood Reporter. So uh, I would assume that this is going to push back other projects that have already been given release dates. That uh, October 2018 release date that we've been talking about for well, a that while. Was, that's Aquaman now. Mm. So interesting. Maybe that takes the ju- that's this is the real reason Justice League is being pushed back uh, is to fit this in in 2019. But I mean, if then you have Justice League two after that, you think Shazam probably gets pushed if that even. I don't, I have a hard time believing that's even going to hit 2019. Anyways, uh, Green Lantern, Cyborg, like even the Flash, those I have a director that was supposed to come out in 2018. I I like this announcement because I guess you more Harley Quinn. And I liked Harley Quinn and Suicide Squad, but I still have no idea what DC is doing yeah. with their no with their like their universe. It makes no sense. Yeah, like we get all this great news from them. Like it's almost like they're putting up trial balloons all right. over the place and like whichever one gets the most hype, they're going to, you know, just ram through um which could be good or bad uh depending on, you know, who they got on the project. But I mean David Ayer being attached to this again is like you said just unbelievable that uh he's back, but uh it will be great to see what he does and hopefully the Wonder Brother lets him do it right. Yeah. So yeah, man, this is so so confusing, but uh the day after this news came out, Bleeding Cool f- posted a very interesting uh, story that <laughs> I wrote up for Screennet and just kind of blew up. People got real upset about this. Um but they reported that Megan Fox uh, has been ordering multiple issues uh, of Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy and having them shipped to her Warner Brothers address the day after this was announced. Huh. Beginning speculation that Megan Fox could potentially be in contention for the role of Poison Ivy. The internet has already proclaimed how much they hate this idea. Mm. I am not completely against it. I'm not either. Uh, I think... Her and Margot together could be an interesting pairing. Um, they like them as characters, Harley and Poison Ivy. They have like sometimes romantic relationships with each other, uh, but outside of that, like they're just like their best friends. Which I, I'll probably see them going that route. But I think Megan Fox has been pigeonholed into just being the hot, dumb person in all of her movies. But in New Girl, which I'm a huge fan of, the TV show is Zoe Deschanel uh, and uh, Nick Johnson. She has been a member of that show over the last season and a half, uh, and she's actually really funny. She like she plays that like that dry, like that dry tone and like the way it should be. Like they yeah. they use her correctly. So if they can maybe do that with this, I think this could maybe be like a interesting decision to go down but i think there's a lot of other choices you could also go and probably be better off with yeah i don't like the reaction of no this is definitely not like you have mean like what have you seen megan fox in lately people the ninja turtle movies yeah that's it i I haven't i'm only in season three of new girl so now i have something to look forward to and like you know uh looking forward to get ahead to now just to see you know how she's you know come along since transformers um I don't. Yeah, I don't hate this. I think I think she would be 
perfect for the role. I mean, she does a little bit of uh, omnius acting in Jane's body or um, the, yeah, she gets Gen- Jennifer's body, Jennifer's body, where she gets possessed and mm-hmm. like uh, just yeah, starts like a vampire or something. She has like she's possessed like a demon spirit and goes on the killing sprees of right uh, like boys in the town and stuff like that. So yeah. it's yeah, I mean she she did well in that, but that was like. 10 was years ago, ago or so not 10 years ago 15 no has it been that long no it's been it's been less than that because that was after transformers when she got that role so like i'm thinking like 2009 2010 probably wow so okay. like but still like six seven years yeah so i mean bringing that back i think uh i think i think she could get it and and, and get it right um especially alongside margot robbie uh playing the um, Poison Ivy is traditionally pretty low key, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean Margaret Robbie's Harley Quinn is so, uh, so high energy yeah. that it'll be perfect. Like, and that's a good point. Like, you could almost use somebody like Megan Fox, who kind of has like a lower demeanor, like not as like crazy. Mm-hmm. Using her could like be a way to like counteract the craziness of Harley yeah. with a mellow Poison Ivy. So I I think it could work. Are there any other actresses maybe that you could think of for Poison Ivy or for Catwoman? Um. Oh yikes. Okay. Well, I'm throwing you on the spot here. Yeah. But. Uh, no. Olivia Wilde could do a really good Poison Ivy, and then oh, um, her name is what is her name? Um, shoot. She is from Westworld. I want to say her name is. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Um. Gosh, Theo! Oh shoot! I really should have wrote. Man, I'm. Are you thinking about it for Poison Ivy or for Catwoman? Uh, for Catwoman. Oh, uh, maybe I'm not thinking of who you're uh, thinking of. Fandy Newton. Oh yeah, I've, yes. heard, I've, heard, I've seen that suggestion a couple and of times. And she was so, uh, so she was such like an alpha and um, cunning, and I think she would make a perfect Catwoman. Mm. Uh, I'll throw out a couple. I think Alexander Daddario, who I pitched last week for. Oh yeah. Uh, 20, the 20, all female mm-hmm. 22 Jump Street. I think she could do good in either role. Uh, I've heard the suggestion already of Anne Hathaway coming back. At, for, and I think if if they want to do that, she's up for it. I think that would be cool. Uh, Anna Kendrick uh, for oh, yeah. maybe Poison Ivy. I think that, that could be interesting. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm trying to like Bryce Dallas Howard as Poison Ivy. Definitely. She's the redhead. Uh I don't know if she'll want to jump into a comic book franchise, but that could, I mean, she's shown like that kind of like craziness in black mirror. So I don't know if they either go that little bit of that direction with poison Ivy, but you could uh, adapt that there. Uh, Any other suggestions? Um, Ava green. uh, She was in, she's, she's got her own show on stars or FX. Penny dreadful. Yeah. Penny dreadful where she's, she plays like a super ominous and dark character, but also with a ton of uh, range emotionally. So I think that would be a perfect fit for either Catwoman or Poison Ivy. Yeah. I've also seen Emily Blunt's name thrown out there for Catwoman. I think that'd be uh, a good choice as well. Yeah. Uh, Maybe Haley Bennett as Poison Ivy. Get her her in a superhero movie. Uh, I'm just kind of looking at like names like it's the Fisher. uh, Oh yeah. You I think there's, I think there's like Jessica Chastain. I've seen a lot of people throw out for Poison Ivy. I think that'd be awesome, but I don't think I don't see Jessica Chastain signing on for like a supporting villain role. Mm-hmm. So uh, moving away from them, because we have a couple of things to touch on for uh, Gotham City Sirens before we get to Rogue One. 
Will Smith told MTV that he will do anything to appear in the movie uh, if possible. Do you want to see Deadshot? No, me neither. Uh, I mean, listen, he's got he's 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 basically the star of Suicide Squad. Um, but I, I don't want to see them waste 10, 15 minutes on a Will Smith appearance. Yeah, I'd rather see him show up in the Batman. Yep. Or oh, also, guys, we can't mention this. They are actually considering a spinoff for Deadshot as well. Yeah. And uh, they are still also considering a Suicide Squad sequel in addition to Gotham City Sirens. So maybe I mean I think there's plenty of opportunities. I I won't be shocked if we get a Suicide Squad two announcement in the next year or so. Uh, they just continue to push back other projects. But the last thing I want to touch on for this topic was. A couple of, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how the Birds of Prey movie, which was supposed to be the Harley Quinn led film mm-hmm. at the time, it had a draft turned in by Christina Hodson, uh, who did the script for the Bumblebee spinoff, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but then, when this news broke, this script was written by an entirely different person. So, what happened to the Birds of Prey idea? Because I was kind of interested in that, and yeah. I actually read an interesting article on Screen Rant, of all places, uh, coincidentally enough, uh, where they proposed that maybe the Birds of Prey themselves, like Batgirl uh, and like the rest of the uh, the gang, they'd actually be the, the quote-unquote villains oh, yeah. in Gotham City Sirens. And you can just adapt maybe parts of uh, what they had rolling there into the plot, and then there you go. Yeah, and then you could potentially spin those three heroes off into like their own like solo movies or a team up of their own or yeah anything. absolutely because yeah uh it's black canary batgirl and then one other um person that they get joined by occasionally uh, the huntress yeah the huntress yeah so uh all of the all of this sounds great yes gotham sirens totally on for um the birds, birds of, of prey, prey. Would be great too. Yeah, but I'm a little more excited for Gotham Sirens. I I am interested in Gotham City Sirens. I don't know much about like that premise or how those three interact together normally. Uh, the Birds of Prey I'm more familiar with just from DC's Rebirth. They have a great Batgirl and the Birds of Prey run out going on right now. It's like nine issues in or something. So the vol the first volume should be out like sometime early next year. So I'd I'd recommend maybe picking that up if you want to learn more about the Birds of Prey. But it's that time. Yes, please. Josh, give us your review of Rogue One, My a Star Wars story. Rogue One. All right. Well, super excited. This is the first uh, anthology movie into the Star Wars series, uh, picking up just prior to episode four. And it was pitched as this grittier, darker war style adventure um, that would be a drastic departure from the episodic uh Star Wars franchise, and it was exactly that. Um, the very in the first ten minutes, we see one of the good people that have been billed as the good guys, uh, you know, kill someone, a uh, killing a an informant in a way that was like, wait a minute, he's the good guy. And right from the beginning, we realize the lines between good and evil are are blurred in this movie, and that was a refreshing uh, beginning to. Uh, Gareth Edwards film Um, but over the movie it feels exactly like Private Ryan saving Private Ryan in a lot in a lot of ways I pulled out Private Ryan um, last week 
just to kind of get myself up to speed on it, and it does really well. Uh, the the pacings of the, the pacings of the movie are wobbly, and the begin and it feels hacked together at certain points. But once we get to where we are, once we get to see what it's like on life in the streets under the imperial rule, um, once we get to see you know how the galaxy's feeling and see the empire at work, it's all awesome. Um, uh, so many awesome like tidbits that they employ, like guerrilla fighters led by Saw Guerrero, which was an awesome way to you know bring things around, um, as well as what stole the show for me in so many ways was K2SO, uh, Alan, uh, Tudyk. Yeah. Yeah. Tudyk, uh, playing this reprogrammed, uh, protocol, tactical droid of the Imperials, uh, his dark, dry humor. That was such a departure from C3PO's panic or BB-8 and R2D2's cute little whistles and bells. So, uh, that was phenomenal. Uh, and th- I really didn't feel connected to this movie um, in ways that I thought I would. I felt like I was watching a story about people, and that was what really made me feel like Gareth Edward had done a great job on this. Um, not not excellent though, because the so a lot of the characters are very shallow. And ultimately disappointing in the in the end. But the fact that I wasn't thinking about this is Star Wars, I was thinking about what are they going to do? How are they going to progress? Just made me think these Star Wars stories going forward have so much potential. Um, in terms of uh, like cinematography and visuals and all that beautiful, it takes us to places that we have never seen before. We see, we see angles and styles that uh, like as promised by Gareth Edwards, Lucasfilm uh, that, you know, just change the way you think about the franchise. Uh, and so all in all together, um, I give it uh, four and a half ticket stubs out of five. So, and my, I'm I I really enjoyed it, but I've got some issues with it. Do you do you agree? I mean, what how did you feel about Rogue One, Cooper? Okay, this is a very strong entry point to this anthology idea that they are trying to implement. They're going to do more so with Han Solo and other uh mystery projects as of right now, but like you said, I mean, it's it's what we were promised. It was, it's a war film. It's great. It still feels Star Wars in a way, but it's still different than the rest of the Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, I had I came to like most of the char- most of the characters that we were watching, um, but I could have used a lot more info about all of them. Um, but like like you said, uh, K2SO was easily the standout, maybe my favorite droid ever. Yeah, definitely. Uh, topping R2 and C3PO and BB-8 just because of his one-liners for 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 starters are just top-notch. He actually gets in on some of the action. He's like he's killing guys. He like his first encounter with Jin is so good. I was like I'm sold already. Mm-hmm. Um the like you said about the tone and like or not the tone, the the pacing it is slow to start. Uh it 
it kind of picks up at the end of the first act. Yeah, goes back down to the second, mm-hmm. but then that third act just kicks you in the like. Oh, yeah, it delivers on everything you wanted. I think not to like get like kind of negative, but the the reshoots and everything like you can tell. I think that that's where they focused their attention on with the reshoots mm-hmm. was we. We can't reshoot this entire movie if that was like if that was a worry of theirs. I think the, I don't think the first two acts are bad, but there there's definitely room to be improved upon. Mm-hmm. But then there's like okay, well we just need to make this the best finale we can, and they did that because I, I even though I'm sitting in the theater for the first two acts, following along I'm interested, but still wanting more. That third act, I w- I came out of the theater just going oh my gosh, yeah, that was exactly what I needed. I need to go watch A New Hope right this second. Uh, it just plays so well into it. But I was also pretty disappointed with the uh, villain of Orson Krennic. Absolutely. Um, and we'll get, I'll get into more specifically why in spoilers, but uh, I had pretty high expectations for Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, and I think he did an okay job portraying him. He's a little goofy in a couple of places, um, but his... The way his characters kind of formed and created and like the way he's used isn't nearly as strong as almost any of the previous Star Wars villains, including the prequels. So that was a big step down. I told you before we started recording that coming out of it the first time I was like on a high note, but there's still something missing. I couldn't point my finger at what exactly that was. Yeah. Seeing it the second time, I was like, that was it. It's okay. It, it was the yeah. lack of a complicated, interesting, uh, powerful villain as the main one. Because I mean, there's other like Vader. He has his moments for sure, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's other protagonists as well that like, have their moments. But Krennic, uh, he was a disappointment, uh, and probably the biggest one I had with the movie uh, overall. So. Uh, I'm going to go four ticket stubs out of five. Uh, still really liked it. Uh, we'll get to ranking the complete Star Wars lore later at the end of the show. Um, but I do think it is a strong entryway for this anthology movie to go. Yeah, and I no think doubt. it sets it sets up the endless possibilities that they can go down as long as they are willing to branch out. And I'll get more specific as to what I mean by that in spoilers uh, a little later on, but uh, yeah, well, that's my, that's my review. Awesome. <laughs> okay. So if we're going to move to spoilers here, can I, can I start with some things that don't really tie too much into the plot? Sure. And I want to talk about um, a character that I didn't know was going to be in this movie. Okay. That kind of got, you know, fused back to life by industrial light and magic. Yeah. And this is, this is something that uh, I loved a lot. Um, Peter Cushing, uh, who played Grand Moff Tarkin in episode four, uh, passed away um, before uh, they could ever, you know, get this the ball rolling on this movie. And they brought him back to life through CGI, through um, computer generation, motion capture. Uh, I, I don't know all the technicalities of it, but it was amazing to see him um, on screen again in ways that are totally memorable and that contrast uh, so well with episode four. And I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, he, like you said, we did 
Krennic wasn't a great villain. Um, but seeing Tarkin there filled the gap for me in uh, so many ways. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Uh, and then um, kind of alongside of that uh, with Tarkin, they cribbed some footage from episode four, did some remastering of it, and their cockpits, um, their cockpit shots of Red Leader and Gold Leader from episode four, who, you know, get blown to smithereens in the end, but they're there. And I thought I thought those little tiny elements got, that got brought back gave the movie some continuity going forward that was really cool. Yeah, I will say I did like... Tarkin a lot and he is definitely vital to this movie in a much larger way than I anticipated mm-hmm. um, but his his face looks a little weird like there's something there's something just slightly off about it um, and I mean we're we're in spoiler territory so I, I won't I'll save the other one because there's yeah. another digitally recreated person in the movie as well but we'll get to later um, but for me he was like, like I think it's just his cheeks because Peter Cushing has very distinct cheeks. Yeah, his jawline like, is his. His were like in this version. His were like really like yellow and spotchy, mm-hmm. and it looked it just looked weird. I wasn't. I was like, mm, okay, like I'll buy it. It wasn't like a huge detractor for me, but um, it was something. Where, like the first one, I was like, okay, interesting. Yeah, but I, I think I think they did. I think they did well for yeah. uh, um, making him. You know, just bringing him back to life. And it was yeah. just, it was so good. Um, but since we are on spoilers, yes, got to figure out a way to go through this somehow. I want to start right at the beginning. We talked about not having to crawl. Yeah. Was it weird? It was, you? it was unsettling because when, when you see Lucasfilm come up on the screen and did we get a long time ago? Yep, we got we, a long time got, ago. And then all of a sudden, Boom. And, yeah, it's th- cut. And with this, with this, with this eerie music, and then we see the traditional. Here's a planet. Yep. And there's no pan down, and we just go. Yeah. I liked it. Okay, I. It's it was jarring for me, honestly. Yeah. Like, especially like I was okay. I know I know we're not gonna get a crawl. I'm expecting it. But I was still expecting the John Williams Star Wars theme at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get it. And it was just so like, like you said, it was weird to go from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right after showing the Lucasfilm logo, to then just go quick cut to a, to a planet, see space, a different, completely different music than what we've been ever seen in a Star Wars movie to begin with. And then I was like, okay. But I got past that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause then we pick up with Galen and Krennic and everything. Yeah. Uh, and, but then they like do that, that, that rogue one logo that pops up. I did not like, that. I didn't either. Cause like, a, it was just weird placement to put that mm-hmm. and B it's not even like the real logo. Like, no, it's not the one we've been seeing. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, what, months. I was like, what is this? And like, I've heard like, <laughs> Uh, Christian Harloff from like Schmoes and Collider. He's like, it looks like somebody just threw that together and like, yeah, <laughs> and, like Microsoft, uh, Microsoft Paint. yeah, <laughs> like Microsoft Paint or just like like iMovie or something. You're like, I mean, yeah, kind of. It, 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 the, the the when I when I say this movie was hacked to get, felt like it was hacked together in the beginning. That's part of it. There's this this very dramatic and dark and sad opening, and then all of a sudden Rogue One comes in, 
with this more of a, a little bit more of a hopeful yeah. score to it. And I think they, I think they could have just ended it, ended that first, you know, the first part of the first act and done that dramatic dun, dun, dun turn uh-huh. like we've been seeing in the trailers for Rogue One. Uh, I know that sounds so dumb and petty to be, uh, <laughs> no, but I mean like, but like, that is that. something that's like iconic with Star Wars. Yeah. So for to not have it and to like kind of I know I understand trying to change it up and not mm-hmm. make it feel like a saga film, but uh, it was it was it was a little weird. Yeah, I I, I was a, f- a big fan of the opening, just that Rogue One title, man. Yeah. Um, but okay, so we are in spoiler territory, and like I said, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, the first thing I want to touch on was uh, Jyn Erso. She's our she's our she's our lead. I thought Felicity Jones did a really good job of portraying her, mm-hmm. but her character was kind of like not the best. She definitely had continuity problems across the entire movie. Well, like the thing that made me like question her the most, especially on the second viewing, was when she is like she doesn't want to be any have any part of the rebellion, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden she switches right after like yeah. at, right after Galen dies, and I'm like. Even before that, though, I feel like if anybody would be like on board to be a part of the rebellion, it would be Jyn Erso. Mm-hmm. She saw them murder her mom right in front of her. She lost her dad for her entire childhood, seemingly because of the Empire. She's being trained by Saw and everything. Like you would think, if anybody would want to be a part of the Rebel Alliance and to fight against the Empire, it would be Jyn Erso. Yeah. But instead, the first half of the movie, she's like. I'm just here to get a meeting. I'm mm-hmm. out now. And then she's like, Galen dies. And then she's like, rebellions are built on hope. And yep. you're just like, wait, what? Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you said it exactly how I have it written here in my notes. Uh, it, it, her and a couple other people. And it's literally switch on, switch off. Yeah. And you, you described it perfectly. She goes from being very cynical about all of this. Um, and then very upset about, you know, um, uh, I mean, can I go ahead and drop it? You know, her part of her arc or yeah, yeah. Uh, her father passing away mm-hmm. uh, about the end of the second. Yeah. And then a confrontation with Cassian Andor played brilliantly by Diego yeah. Luna, by the way. Um, and then as soon as we get back to the Rebel Alliance is based on Yavin 4, she is all on board for doing everything we can for the Empire. When it was the rebel alliance actions that actually led to her father's death. Right. And I just, that, that part really got me thinking, Oh boy, this is, this is definitely something that had a major problem. Yeah. Well, cause like, I could not rectify that at all. Right. Like, yeah, it was like, I liked how Cassian kind of called her out on it when she's like, so you don't get to just like choose when you want to care. Like I've been living this since I was six. Mm -hmm. Like you don't get to tell me what's right and wrong in the rebellion. But still, like the first thing I thought of when Galen died was Primrose Everdeen. <laughs> I was like, they primrosed him. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? <laughs> like, I'm sure that's been done before. That was immediately where my mind went. And I was like, Oh, okay. So is this going to be like the reason for her to like not trust the empire or not, or not trust the rebellion? Yeah. But it's almost the exact opposite effect. Right. Where like she goes from like, she questions them immediately, but then she's right on board. And yeah. she's willing to do whatever it takes, stand in front of everybody and give her plan on, we need to go to Scarif and do this because I saw my dad's message. And like, you're just like, what? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was another, it was, and plus the death of uh, Galen was 
was just so reminiscent of, yeah. you know, Brian Cranston dying in Godzilla. Right. And I couldn't believe it. I, <laughs> in the theater, I literally went, they did not. Like, like if what was, and listen, Tony Gilroy got paid $5 million to come back on this movie. And it, 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 the movie's great. But this part was just so unbelievable that there was no, there was no final, um, uh, there's no closure right. other than him just being dead. And that was, yeah, I, I was just so leave him. He's dead. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. That dialogue from Cassian was a little bit questionable. I really, too. and I didn't like that. He just died by like, especially if you're not going to have any, con- if, you, if they would have had a consequence, be like, okay, Jen's not going to trust the rebellion because they just, they, they, they literally just killed her dad on mm-hmm. purpose. They were trying to do it. And instead, like, it's like this, like moment to build the fire up in her and make her want to fight against the empire. If they had, if they'd gone the opposite approach and made her like question the rebellion even further, then I would have been more on board with it. But the fact that they just like killed him off like that, it wasn't even Krennic to be the one to do it. I was just like, like Galen's death was like kind of dumb. Yeah. And it was almost like they should have switched. Um, I mean, we haven't mentioned Saul Guerrera. Right. Uh, are we getting, are we getting to him? Well, yeah. We, I mean, we can talk okay. About but there were, there were two acts that I felt should have been switched where she sees his message after his passing away and receives his message to, you know, finish, make his life worthwhile, make mm-hmm. her life worthwhile by joining hands with the Alliance and um, taking down the Death Star. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, ab- definitely, I agree. Um, shallow and just continuity problems all across the board. Right, but... A little bit on the more positive side for me, Cassian Andor, like his introduction when he just like shit murders that dude. I was like, holy! I was like, my jaw was like, mm-hmm. what? No, no, Cassian's not a bad guy. And I was like, oh crap, he is. Like he's literally an assassin, basically for the rebellion. Yeah, uh, I was like, that was so cool. And then seeing like him and like the other general, like, be like, okay, like art. Forget what you heard in there, that briefing room. Our mission is to kill Galen Erso at whatever cost necessary. Yeah. And you're just like, dang, this the rebellion is not nice. Yeah. And absolutely. like it's a completely different picture than's painted in the original trilogy, but I liked it because that's how war would be. Like yeah. you're not gonna be all hope and like cheerful and just oh, we'll get them next time. Right. Yeah. Instead they're like, This is our chance. We have to we have to take this. Absolutely. And then it also spoke to the these ideas that not everybody in your faction believes the same same things you do, right. has, shares the same ideals, even though you're under this common banner. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was it was such a great such a great idea, uh, to have that happen. Yeah. Um are we still still speaking to, to Cassian? Then? If you want to. I that's that's the, that was the one thing I really wanted to highlight for him. Yeah, I just wanna touch on his relationship with uh, Jin again is that they're upset with each other after Cassian sets out to go take down Gale, Galen. Um, <laughs> Gale. Yeah. The sorry. Hunger Games on the mind. <laughs> <laughs> you got me thinking, Brim, oh, man. Sorry. All right. Anyway, yeah, as he's going out to, uh, you know, basically assassinate Galen, and she's like, You went up there to kill him. They argue, and then um, once they get back to the, the Alliance, all of a sudden, they seem to patch that up pretty quick. Yeah, and, and off screen, yeah. And they do, I mean, there is that confrontation with them in the hall and when they basically say, all right, we're going to go do this for the for the Rebel Alliance and for Galen. Um, but that that turned around too quick and then in the end, 
there was this tease of something more between yeah, them. I don't and like that. I, I mean, I said it to myself in the theater, I was just like, they better not, they better not. And they didn't, they didn't yeah. kiss or anything. And then the ending was, the ending was great because, but it felt like that ending was built off of the third act only and not the first. Yeah. Two, so like, there was the the moment I first like recognized like that was like like kind of that like romantic spark or something like mm-hmm. was when they I think they first landed on Scarif, and she like she like darts across like the like just the floor of like their ship and like stops and like kind of like stare at each other and she's like uh I'll I'll go tell I'll go tell everybody and you're just like wait what <laughs> why'd you just yeah like, oh, this is a weird moment and then yeah like having like him come back to be the one to save her. Uh, like they're like holding each other up because they can't walk, holding hands as the explosions getting close to them, then like embracing fully. Or like, I don't like. I never got that like that sense of oh, there's something here. Yeah, and I mean, but and like I kind of I let that go just because when you're facing the right when you're facing a tidal wave of death. Yeah, uh, you don't want to do you it know, alone. You're probably gonna want to behold somebody. Right. Yeah. So I yeah I was I wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a huge criticism. I was just like, I was, I was definitely relieved they did not like just full out like make out in their final moment. Yeah. I was like, nope. Yep. Awful. But uh, want to talk about Bodhi a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't believe I've, I have him bolded here because uh, he was Riz Ahmed definitely was probably one of the two best actors in this movie. Uh, from the very beginning, being a panic, freaked out imperial uh pilot who's defected um to deliver the message of the rebel plan or that the there's a death star out there for the rebel alliance uh was so good um i didn't think he was gonna get that big of a role and he turns out he is he's in the movie almost just as much as Jin is and I, I loved it a ton what'd you think of him i, I liked riz's portrayal of him for sure but I was a little confused about his like character post his confrontation with uh, uh, with Saw because yeah. like he has that big octopus thing like suck tentacles into his face to like reveal the truth and he's like oh but one side effect is you you lose your mind mm-hmm. and the first instance when uh, Baze and Chiru and uh, uh, Cassian. Cassian are in the cell next to him after he's appears that was like his mind just like wiped or something right. and like he's just like all oh, like he can't speak he's like uh uh pilot yeah yeah i'm pilot i'm pilot uh and they're like oh okay like you're the rebel pilot like all the stuff and, like you see like him kind of like like he has like a little bit of an understanding of like who he is and stuff but then like right after that like, he is like fully functional human being he is totally mm-hmm. fine i was like I thought there was like something that I thought that thing messed with your brain forever. Yeah. And I was like, that was just weird. I was like, cause like that thing didn't even need to be included. You could have left out the octopus monster movie would play it exactly the same. Absolutely. And Riz's character probably would have been better for me, but I was like, I couldn't get that out of my mind as I was watching him, like deliver these codes or like run these wires instead of communication. I was like, mm-hmm. 
You had your mind wiped like 24 hours ago. Yeah, pilot the uh, for the Rebel Alliance into um, the planet. I forget what the Koala or uh, the wherever the secret facility for the Death Star was. Uh, he pilots them in there, and then he works to steal a ship yeah. to get them off the planet too. So I was, yeah, it was definitely like, oh wow, he found his confidence pretty fast. Yeah. So that uh, I still liked him a absolutely. lot, and I was I was glad to see like, how much he was in it. Um, are there any other of like the main group you want to get to before we get to Krennic and Vader? Uh, I mean, you have you have to say some things about Donnie Yen's Imwe Chirut. Yes. Yeah. Or I think it's Chirut Imwe. Chirut, yeah, Imwe. Him and Bayes um, both were... I wondered how they were going to be brought up in this movie, and it turns out that they were guardians of this temple on Jedha that, you know, got ransacked by the Imperials. And... Uh, they turn they they entered the movie well and Donnie Yen, who I got very tired of his I am with the force and the force is with uh-huh. me quote throughout maybe like the third time he uh-huh. said it. I was done with it. But watching him in that third act dart between bushes, come up behind stormtroopers, grab them and take them yeah. down silently was without a doubt the one of the coolest sequences in hand-to-hand combat Star Wars has ever yeah. done. Uh, so, you know, major props to him and Baze. Yeah, I, st- I wish we would have gotten to see more of him actually do, like, hand-to-hand stuff. Because we get to see that his first encounter with the Stormtroopers when he saves, like, Jin and Cassian and a K2SO. But then after that, he's, like, shooting his, like, blaster, like, uh, crossbow thing. And then taking them, like, one or two Stormtroopers. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay. But, like... His 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 death was one of the more impactful ones for me because I was like, no, yeah, you can't go out like this. But more so that whole ten minutes of him yeah. and Baze together, mm-hmm. throwing him walking out there and throwing the master switch was, yeah, this much cheesy. Uh, but Especially because like he was going up against the black troopers, yeah, or like the, the, the death, death troopers, troopers yep. and like who were billed as this elite force. Yeah, and like they're just like missing him left and right, and he's just, he's walking a straight line right towards yeah. like a target, and you're just like. You can't hit this guy. Right, but he's teased to be using the force. Right. So I let that yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. But then Baze getting his vengeance on those guys was very cool. Baze's gun was so cool. Like in Battlefront two or whatever, if they don't have that gun available for like level one hundred people or for like mm-hmm. a billion coins, yeah. That's a missed opportunity because you just lay waste. That was awesome. Um super jealous of that gun. Um but I th- do you want to touch on Saw at all? Uh, he was he was about what I thought. Yeah. Turns out he was a mentor of Jin. Um, but I liked the faction they built around him that he didn't want to fight the Empire the Alliance's mm-hmm. way. The Alliance was like, no, we'll use diplomacy. We'll yeah. use the truth. And then it turns out the bad guys are you know playing by that. So Saul's like, you know what? I'm just going to start yeah. taking them down when I can. Yeah, he was... He was definitely. I liked. I definitely liked the inclusion that he used. Part. He's like an extremist. Right? That's what he's labeled yes. as. I yes. was like, I want to see a lot more of that. I think he's supposed to appear in Rebels later this season, so we should hopefully get more of that. Um, so we're definitely looking forward to more from Saw. But Krennic. Why? 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 Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so the thing that really bugged me about Krennic was. I, his attitude, his cocky attitude, I thought was okay. I, I was like, okay, like, you kind of have to be that way um, to be in that position of power. Mm-hmm. But the problem was Gareth Edwards and that script were just 
insisting on making him look like an absolute idiot at every single turn. He is terrible at his job. Like, there's no reason this guy should be in charge of anything. Like, sure, he helped construct the Death Star a little bit, but it was mainly just Galen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he does he do, he never gets on the action. He just stands by his side, except for when he's like trying to shoot Jin and Cassian. But that's it. Yeah, and that's like that's nothing. Uh, he, like he like tries to challenge Vader, doesn't work at all. I liked that a lot, he though. He grovels at Vader, actually. Yeah, and he's like, I deserve an audience for this, like this accomplishment. And Vader's just like, don't choke on your... Uh, yeah, uh, careful not to choke on your pride. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, that was cool. Mm-hmm. I liked that a lot. But that was like the only like scene with Krennic that I actually like, really enjoyed because otherwise he's just like standing in the base in Scarif, like they're attacking us somebody somebody do something mm-hmm. uh or he's yelling at tarkin after tarkin's like i'm taking over the death star and he's like you can't do this this is my thing like but like he's like has all these leaks like he just he is so bad at his job and i was like how am i supposed to like be afraid that this is going to be the guy that stops the rebels yeah or tries to when he is making the wrong decision at every single turn so i was just like that script did not suit him at all yeah and the thing is we in all of the trailers every single trailer orson krennic is billed as this this guy who's who is who him and vader are going toe to toe not him and grand moff tarkin who was probably more formidable you know like they were probably on each other's level a little bit better but he was standing up to vader in some of those scenes he was strolling through jedha after a battle, you know, victoriously. And I couldn't believe that. Uh, and then we get to the film, and it turns out that he's he's not smart enough to finish the Death Star without Galen, but that's fine. Yeah. You, everybody needs a he's genius. He's not a scientist. Yeah. Right, he's not a scientist. He's just, uh, he's an overseer. Yeah, he's just an eager guy trying to rise his ranks. By which, standing on the backs of other people. Right. And, I mean, it comes back to haunt him in the end, but uh, you you admire his willingness or his drive but when you realize there's nothing behind it other than just wanting to be at the top, it he he doesn't do anything that's yeah. calculating or chess match like. He's just he's reactionary. He's reactionary and almost like you know a little bit. I uh, you know uh, kind of a crybaby. Like yeah. you know like that, that that Vader scene like when he de- like demands the audience with the Emperor, which I love the idea that the Emperor does not avail himself to anyone mm-hmm. but Vader and probably you know Tarkin. Yeah. Uh, and Vader's just like, yeah, nice try, my friend. Yeah. Uh, but because well, even Snarks, when like he's tasked to uh, make an example on Jedha and show that the Death Star actually works, mm-hmm. he's like, you would have thought uh, Vader and the Emperor would be here for such an occasion. And then Tarkin's like, to put him back in his place. He's like, I was trying to save him the embarrassment. Yeah, he's like, yeah, like, th- like they 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 do nothing to help the audience respect Krennic in any single way. Uh, it really just made me not like him as a villain. It's even more so the second time around. And I, it comes together in a little bit at the ending when you realize that this man who was trying to champion this weapon for everything is now, you know, on the planet that's getting wiped right. out by it. Uh, but it, it wasn't what we were sold on. No. And I, I was yeah. disappointed. Like, I liked that idea, but I still, I still think it would have been way more impactful to see Vader be the one to just. To, to knock him off and be yeah. like, you failed me for the last time and it's, psh, just cut his head off or something mm-hmm. like, 
That would have been way more impactful than just seeing Mendelssohn just like staring off in the distance as he sees the Death Star lineup. Yeah, it. Yeah, it would definitely be more. It would, but if it was a chess match between him and Vader, it would make sense. Yeah. But since this guy was just an egomaniac at every turn trying mm. to get credit for the Death Star, finally, you know, getting credit or, you know, right. finally seeing his weapon unleashed, but it's on him uh, in his base uh, was was a lot was the grand irony of the movie, I suppose. Yeah, I, I will get to, I think, maybe some uh, points as to how or why that conflict changed a little bit uh, mm-hmm. later on. But. Uh, the last character, or second last character I want to touch on, it's the man, Vader. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. That last five minutes with Vader is so good. Uh, I still wish I could have had him be on the beaches in Scarif trying to track down the Rebels, but that was just awesome and it plays Incredible. so well into a new hope yes uh that i was just like hats off to lucasfilm mm-hmm. if that's what you guys had to reshoot then the reshoots were worth it absolutely uh and it was it was the most brutal thing we've ever like listen you thought the dark the darkest part of anakin skywalker darth vader was him standing in a room <laughs> turning a lightsaber on with like you know younglings right. which is probably dark it's, it's dark but this takes that but you don't see any of that that's yeah. all just implied you see it in this this hallway, the the lights go out. The rebel soldiers are trying to pass along the plans, uh, and all of a sudden, a lightsaber ignites at the end of the hall, and there's Lord Vader, and just chops twelve, ten, oh, yeah, a lot. Uh, imp- rebel alliance guards in half and chokes one, smashes him against the ceiling. Uh, it was so <laughs> cool to see like why people finally fear Lord Vader, you know, outside of just the Anakin Skywalker legend status of the guy. That was amazing. Yeah. I was honestly expecting it almost to end right after he lit up his lightsaber, just to give us that last ominous shot of Vader. Be like, Oh crap. Mm -hmm. This is, he's, he's pissed heading into new hope because of this. And I was like, I was, I was ready for it to end. And then they gave me the action. And I was like, this is so good. Easily the best action from Vader ever, uh, and one of the best action sequences in Star Wars. Uh, period. Yeah, it, the, my my favorite part of the whole part thing too was it wasn't just a wasn't just a camera angle on him. It was from the feet up, mm-hmm. sort of the you know that made you feel small and just like oh we're right. at this guy's mercy. And you're Maybe seeing a lot from the rebels' perspective too. Yeah. And you're just like seeing him just mow down these guys. Mm-hmm. It's super impactful. But I still wish. Could have found a way to use it more. Yeah, um, uh, I did love his his base. That's on is that on, it's on Mustafar? Mustafar. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. I loved that the the, the fact that they portrayed him or showed off him being in a back to tank mm-hmm. uh, was very humanizing uh, to the guy, which was weird to say. Right, <laughs> when he's he's a killing machine. The rest of the movie, um, his appearance in the, with the Star Destroyer at the final battle on Scarif was awesome too because mm-hmm. we got rebel fleets the rebel fleets making their jump out of the it system is. and then they calculate <laughs> right into the Death Star coming in and it just blows them the smithereens yep. uh, which was epic yeah I did really like that opening too just, uh, which I actually had like kind of spoiled for me like it was it was like strip spoiler that, oh this is Darth Vader but it was speculated that mm-hmm. what if that's a back to tank and like that's why the guards are there there's somebody there to just visit him and then that's it's Anakin's like destroyed body trying to heal himself after something yeah uh what that means 
or why he is in that tank. Because at, at the end of episode three, he is in the Vader suit. Seems to be fine. Uh, I hope it's a nod to Rebels and his battle with Ahsoka. I don't know if that's the case, but it'd be really cool if we ever figure that out. But uh, yeah, Vader was definitely lived up to my expectations, even though he was in it mm-hmm. less than I thought he was going to be. Yeah, they used him very well and effectively. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Tarkin already, but the other CG character pops up right after this sequence with Vader. Yeah. Which... With a young Leia. And you mm-hmm. actually see a young Carrie Fisher's face, and it looked really good. Absolutely. Uh, literally like stand-in actor good. Yeah. Uh, and they, and while Tarkin was in this dark Death Star with shadows and places where you can sort of hide the CGI, she was in a Corvillian Corvette where the whole room is white, she's wearing mm-hmm. white, and they... They were like, well, here we go. Yeah. This is it. And I was, I could not believe that. That is the most lifelike CGI person I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, easily. And uh, yeah, that was super cool. I was not expecting it at all. No, I wasn't either. I, well, I was expecting to see, like, when they showed the silhouette of her, I was like, all right, exactly what I wanted. And then they even did the cut to her turning around, but you still don't see her face. Mm-hmm. But then she did the turn. And I was like, they're actually going to show her? No way. Yeah. I was like, wow, that looks so good. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say I'm not a fan of the immediacy of the pan- – like, as Vader's scene ends, the plans get passed, mm-hmm. and then the ship detaches from the Calamarian cruiser and then goes into hyperspace. Right. I did not like that because I think that creates some problems, uh, but it – Yeah. The – the energy that you have coursing through you while watching Vader just destroy the rebel, the rebellion or the Mm -hmm. Alliance guards. And then all of a sudden Leia takes off with the plans and he just misses them. And it's like, suck it, Lord Vader. Yeah. That like (laughs) shot of him just like standing out on like a broken bridge, just Mm -hmm. destructive, uh, of Scarif below him, some guards behind him looked great. And then I even liked how Leia's last word is hope. Yeah. Um, going right into a new hope mm-hmm. so uh very cool thing uh there uh we've got a couple of things I don't, do you have any other like big bullet points uh, i don't i kind of feel like i'm like <laughs> oh no controlling no, this, the was conversation. A, this was a great way to okay. move forward because then we get to kind of move chronologically through it um yeah in terms of spoilers i think they're i think r2d2 and c3po being on um the the Avon 4 creates continuity problems yeah. again because like they're like because C-3PO says they never tell me anything. Like, why are why are they going to Yav or why are they going to Scarif? Mm-hmm. But if Leia's on that ship, right, they should be on that ship with her. Yeah, it almost implies Leia's actually on Yavin Four the whole time. Yeah, but Jimmy Schmidt, that coming, conversation was awesome. That was beyond what I expected them to do, mm-hmm. and uh, it really made me feel like you know, uh, I you know. Uh, this was a great bridge between the world and seeing him back as one of the big highlights of episode three, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about past and future and present. And, uh, I loved that. Well, I mean like, and it's, yeah, it's set up like he's going back to Alderaan. It's set up why Obi-Wan is brought in in Mm -hmm. episode four. He says like, I trust her with my life in reference to Leia. Yeah. So it was a really good conversation that kind of like, almost oddly placed because it's just like it's just like randomly thrown in there well but 
uh, I did still like it a lot. See, well, it comes after um, they decide, okay, we're going to war. Mm-hmm. And it almost kind of, it's almost sort of like, you know, like 1776 in Star Wars terms. Right. They've, try, <laughs> they've tried diplomacy, but it turns out that they're not interested in listening to the Rebel Alliance or the truth. And so they're like, all right, we're going to, you know, get ready to go. Time to bring Obi-Wan back and hopefully with his... You know his secret Jedi friend that he's been watching over. So yeah, uh, yeah, it was so cool. Yeah, uh, one thing I forgot to mention, uh, re- referencing Galen, we kind of predicted it right in the preview that he did in fact build in the weakness on purpose. Yes. What did you think about that? Because so, you seemed kind of almost against it on the preview. So seeing it play out, what'd you think? Well, I was against this in the preview. Him putting the thermal exhaust port on the Death Star, like like leaving it unsealed. Mm-hmm. But what he actually did was um, create an, a, a flaw in the Death Star that would start a chain reaction if um, a certain explosion, if something was set off in that area. Right. And I like that way more. That's why they needed the schematics. <laughs> I love that way more than... I, I left the thermal exhaust port open. <laughs> like you, it's a thermal exhaust port, you know. It yeah. be, so I was very, I was very happy that yeah. it wasn't as cheesy as you know. I was hoping they wouldn't go. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I liked, I liked it a lot. Um, what do you think of the score by Michael Giacchino? I, I really liked it. It was, it was like I said, we, like at the very beginning. I mean, it starts with some of his stuff, and it's. It's super eerie, super unsettling. It builds up and gives you a much more, uh, it's not epic, but it's, um, um, it's very, uh, very in the world, it's in the weeds more. It's not as, it's not as, um, hope, hopeful or like, but it's sort of like, you know, uh, heroic, but then it always keeps this, you know, ominous tome throughout the entire thing. But I yeah. think he did a great job for writing it in like in three weeks. Three yeah. weeks. Yeah, I, I think he did. I think he did fine. Uh, I wasn't blown away by it. Like, and like, in watching it again, that was one thing I wanted to be, like listen for was his mm-hmm. scores, uh, and even his use of older stuff as well, like the yeah. Empire's theme, which he didn't he didn't really use a lot, uh, unfortunately. Like the one time in both in both viewings that really got me. Was Vader's first showing yeah. when they used the Empire theme? I was like, oh, that look that that works so well mm-hmm. for countless reasons. Yep. Um, but nothing that Giacchino did was better than the score in the second trailer that Desplat had done yes. with with the rocket launcher. I still love that the way he combined all everything together. So I I think. I would have liked the score more if it was Desplat's version, sure. or if they been able to maybe use some of that. But mm-hmm. for three weeks, it, it's, it's hard to really like, knock Giacchino's work. It's definitely not something we're going to be talking about. You know, like leaving Episode Seven with John right. Williams immediately. Things like parts of that score mm-hmm. stuck with me yeah. from the first and I bought viewing, it, like right after. Yeah. yeah, especially like Daisy Riddler, you know, Ray's mm-hmm. theme. Like that was incredible work. This here. Vader's, but that's about it. Yeah. Uh, So one other thing I wanted to touch on, which I'm still not sure how I feel about it, but the idea of these being standalone movies, I think they took this like super literal in a sense with Rogue One because they introduced a whole 
brand new batch of characters. Then they introduced uh, four new locations, I believe. Yeah. Scarif, uh, Jetta, that weird city on an asteroid, mm-hmm. and then, uh, uh, then the the one where Galen was at. Yeah, the, what do you want to call it? Koala or Kayla or something like uh, that. Yeah, I think it starts with a K or something, but. I think it's almost a little bit of a cop out to just like I mean they pretty much like they didn't destroy two of those places but Jeddah and Scarif they annihilate at least a vast majority of the planet or if not the entire population of whatever's living on there. Mm-hmm. Then they kill off the entire main cast as well. And I understand it's supposed to be a standalone story but you then limit yourself to not having the opportunity really to explore those things more in the future. And I was really intrigued by Jedha, the lore that was there with the Jedi temple, the guard that Baze and Chirrut were a part of, uh, why there was a huge Jedi carved into the mountains. If that, if that was a fallen statue, what the case was there. And I'll never know the answers to that unless they do like a comic or something and more book series or the book. And yep. like the chance of me reading those are like, pretty slim um maybe i will i, w- I want to read catalyst because i've I heard really good up. things yeah. about it but i think it's a little bit of a cop-out to introduce all this new stuff mm-hmm. for an anthology film and then just blow it all up by the end of the movie <laughs> yeah definitely and i mean the thing is um i agree that a lot of the work was wasted a kind of kind of in terms of you know uh world building and storytelling yeah. but star Wars, the universe is so vast that i really don't want to see places rehashed again and right. again and again and that's something that the prequels i you know, kind of still dig in for i'm like does tatooine need to be in one and two and three right uh uh but i was thinking know. more i was like oh what if like jetta is one of the places luke is looking for for to try to find like ancient stuff about the Jedi and stuff. Um, but since the Jedi temple's like completely destroyed right. and everything, I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. Exactly. So it was just like, yeah, it was like all that world building they did in this movie at the end. It just like is none, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of bummed me out. But again, I have no idea how else you do it without just like leaving loose ends to the story. So uh, last thing I want to touch on for We'll see if you have anything else. The uh, I've seen a couple of interesting articles already about the reshoots and their effect on the marketing and the way that it looks like it drastically changed the third act, which is reportedly what they worked on the most in reshoots. Um, because in like in the trailers and stuff, there's shots of uh, Vader and Krennic together, what looks to be in either an Imperial cruiser or on the Death Star itself or some somewhere else other than Mustafar. Uh, and then there's also, because that's where he delivers like, like uh, unlimited power. Immeasurable power. Immeasurable power, power yeah. yeah. And, uh, but then there's also shots of like K2SO, uh, Jin, and Kazian uh, running through like rebel troops in their regular garb, not like the Imperial stuff they like switched into. Mm-hmm. With the Death Star plans on her hip, they're running through the stuff. They're getting the uh, AT-ATs are shooting at them. All that stuff is in like the trailers heavily, not in the movie at all. Yeah, it's, that first trailer it's especially. It's completely changed the third act from what it looks like. Potentially for the better, I think. But again, we'll never know. No. But I think it, it does show that they 
significantly retooled this movie. Yeah. Um, which isn't a bad thing because I liked the third act the most, but it, it, it was interesting to kind of look at those. I know like slash film was one that I read and they did really like in depth, like breakdown of screen grabs from all the trailers and stuff and showing, okay, well this wasn't in the movie, how this is different from the final cut and all this. Yeah. Stuff. Especially when we're talking that the sizzle reel and things like that. Um, what we saw the, the, what I the what I kind of thought as we as I left the movie, but I'll need to see it again to make sure I confirm it. But I think the reshoots expanded the movie a lot um, in terms of scope. I don't think Gareth Edwards' original vision was four or five planets yeah. wide. I think it was them getting. I think it was more of like episode six where. This team gets to Jed or Scarif or wherever you know, um, maybe Jedha, then Scarif, and then maybe that stopover planet, mm-hmm. and not the running back and forth between Yav and Four all the time. Yeah, and the the third act is actually maybe Act Two and Three, where they're on this planet. They're trying to find a way to get into this tower that comp- contains the plans. Um, and, and all sorts of other things, but uh, yeah, I I really loved that shot of them just jumping right into those walkers, mm-hmm. and turns out that got cut. Yeah, and uh, all of, yeah. So yeah, like you like the shot of like Jen in the Imperial garb turning around. Mm-hmm. The voiceover that Force Whitaker does throughout the entire first trailer is pretty much gone. He's like, "What will you do when they break you? What will you become?" Yeah, it's not in there. And I thought they were going to even going to cut the save the rebellion, save the dream line. Cause it looked like mm-hmm. he, like it was basically done. And then like they cut back to him real quick and he says it. I was yeah. Like, then you realize, Oh, he's crazy. Okay. Yeah. He can say that. Yeah. Like, oh, it's, it's kind of cheesy, but he's also a lunatic. So right. it, it works in a two degree. Yeah. Uh, it will be, it'll be interesting to see what comes, uh, out of the next few months yeah. to see you know, how Gareth Edwards is feeling because it still feels like his movie, mm-hmm. uh, in all the ways he does never, heard any rumors of him being unhappy or uh anything like that so that's good but what will be really telling is when this movie gets its release and you know the special edition yeah the, the director commentary cut. yep uh is there is it extended at all you know that yeah that we may see our first extended edition star wars movie i find that hard to believe i find it too hard to believe but yeah. They they, uh, they sunk a lot of move money into this movie, so I wouldn't be shocked I think to see him. It'll be more interesting to see all the deleted scenes that are included. Yeah, because uh, I don't think well, I don't think they'll recut the movie because I, I just don't think that's Lucasfilm style or Disney style to do that. So uh, that's all I really have. Is there anything else you want to point out? Oh, th- I mean, we should probably touch on like the deaths, like when K two S O died and just like. Shot for shot for shot. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, crap. Yeah. This is when everything bad happens. And yeah. I was like, his death actually might have been the most impactful because I was like, this is when it all begins. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then it's just like, oh, they wasted everybody in the next 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say that I wanted I wanted uh, Riz Ahmed's Bondi Rook to be better than it was. Because it felt like he was working up courage throughout this entire mm-hmm. movie, and then all of a sudden, um, 
he like like we said earlier he flips a switch and then suddenly there's no bridge he just goes for it uh and then he tributes it to galen and then he meets his demise too yeah by a stray grenade which you know, I didn't I did not like that at yeah, all. Yeah, I feel like I felt like he had enough time to pick it up and throw it out. Mm-hmm. But I was like, or at least make you know die for the end. Yeah, I was like, but, man, maybe that's just not Riz. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, a couple of, a couple other things I would want to mention is just shot wise, the space battle was. Oh yeah, abs- was episode three's opening was amazing, mm-hmm. but it ends very quickly, yep. and you don't see a whole lot at the end of no. the day, other than just little It's, it's really just Anakin and Obi-Wan and right. their, their ships. This space battle was awesome. They also, you know, give a shout-out to an Old Republic vessel, the Hammerhead yeah. uh, vehicle. That's used in uh, the Old Republic games, and I'm like, that's some sweet continuity there. That was awesome. It was used, too. Yeah. So, Oh, yeah. That, I... I, 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 I took it because, you know, they've done some dumber things in space battles in Star right. Wars. <laughs> I was surprised it was still intact after just, like, completely just just crashing into another ship. I yeah, like, they should have. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take it. The bridge should have been I was like, it's a hammerhead, something. so I'm, it's got a really tough front. Let's go with that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and it's certainly not more crazy. It's certainly not crazier than, you know, teddy bears with bows and arrows. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then... The, the 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 third act has all these great moments, but one where I just thought it was just where it excelled the most was when rebel troops have broken the barrier and they're landing ships on um, the beachhead and troops are jumping out of them and they're all swarming up and they're you know making attack runs and things mm-hmm. like that. I just I wish that would have been more of the movie right. and I think it was more of the movie could have been. until they had to start. Especially if like for characters and things yeah, like, like that. if like Cassian and like uh, Jin were like actually like running through the beaches trying to avoid death, like mm-hmm. they would need more troops to try to protect them uh, and get them to a place where they could then like send the plans, put the plans on a ship and send them out or do something else with them. You never know. Yeah. So very yeah. So that that's all I have. Okay. Um. All in all. Great concept. Uh, I wish maybe they would have started with John Kroll from Industrial Light and Magic, you know, came up with this idea and pitched it to Lucasfilm. And I think maybe they should have started with a character story instead of an idea beforehand, because I I think ultimately that's what the movie lacked. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's still, yeah, it's a good idea for a movie for sure. Um, I think it's, I think it, it's it's just a good testing ground for mm-hmm. them to see, okay, this event is c- so closely tied to the original trilogy, specifically A New Hope, that we can't mess this up for one. And two, it's kind of a way to say, all right, here's, some, here's a story not about the Skywalkers, but plays directly into the Skywalkers. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to see if they'll branch out farther. Hopefully they will. I want to like... I just want like a movie about like we got kind of like the rebels and like they're kind of bad. They're kind of good. Depends on who they are. I want to see like somebody on the empire and like, who's like maybe trying to do good. Mm -hmm. Like see, do something like with Bodhi's character where he turns to the good side, start a movie where the guy is still part of the empire. And it's him realizing he doesn't agree with this. He wants to make that flip. And then it's him trying to figure out how he can make that happen. Yeah. Um, I think that I think there's so many possibilities. Uh, 
they shouldn't have a problem trying to figure out what to do next. I just want to see them branch out and not do just just Han Solo, Obi Wan, Yoda, mm-hmm. a Darth Vader movie. It's uh, like all these known properties. I want to see new stuff. Yeah, I think Episode Eight's gonna Seven and Eight are gonna op- start opening up the doors of what happened in between six and seven and yeah. you know poe dameron's origin story yeah. things like that what's what happened between six and seven what happened before one go to old republic era that would be awesome uh, so many want. possibilities but with rogue one out now it's the eighth star wars movie so we thought it'd be good we haven't done a list in a while that's true uh so we thought we would rank our individual eight star wars movies see where they kind of stack up um so let's do uh, we'll go, let's do, how should we do this? First three, we'll, we'll do, we'll do bottom three yeah. and then switch one. That sounds good to me. Every other. All right. All right. Um, so my bottom three, I have not, I don't think they've changed is episode one. Uh, just so all of the issues I've said before, um, in terms of taxation of trade routes being the, the beginning, <laughs> the, the, the crux of the story, I suppose, yeah. uh, uh, goes unexplained, and then everything else. Um, then the, number seven is episode two, uh, better, but acting sinks the movie. The the abundance of CGI and the idea that George Lucas thought, what if everything you know <laughs> was computerized? Uh, not so much. Uh, and then number six, uh, episode three, a much better story, a really a really good. Um, a great allegory. Uh, acting is still terrible, but um, emotional hooks of Obi-Wan and Anakin do it just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, very similar uh, with a slight difference. I have Attack of the Clones at eight okay. uh, because I watched all these movies again before seeing Rogue One, and that one was just the bo- most boring of all of them. Uh, it, I, it's... Yeah, it's just so boring. The the last, the climactic battle, you're yawning as I'm talking about it, if that's <laughs> an indication uh, of how terrible this movie is. Um, and I think the only reason I'd give Phantom Menace the leg up is because that has Darth Maul, it has Qui-Gon, and it has yeah. Obi, Obi-Wan, uh, which I legitimately like all three of them, even though I wish there was way more Darth Maul. Um, but, so that's... Uh, Phantom Menace is then number seven for me, and six is Revenge of the Sith. Yep. Uh, like you said, it's not a, it's not a great movie, but it's it's better than the other two, uh, and you get to see the execution of the Jedi, which should have. I mean, I had a long discussion with the person I saw Rogue One with about how they should have done the prequels instead, but that's a topic for a completely different time. Yeah. Um, but it has a a. Somewhat satisfying final encounter between Obi-Wan and Anakin. Uh, and then it sets up the events of A New Hope. Maybe too much, but it does it in like a good way outside of the metal-crushing no-scream at the very, very end. Mm-hmm, sure um, thing. So, what's number five? All right. Well, I mean, B... Rest assured, I hold every one of these films from here on out in very high regard. Yes. Uh, number five is Rogue One. Uh, I I have, as of right now, I have trouble putting it above um, my coming movies, but this was, it was so different, and it almost felt like I was watching a different franchise, you know, but still, but with all the same elements that right. I love so much. 
Yeah, um, uh, it, that's my number five as well. Uh, okay. Yeah. It, like you, yeah, I echo everything you say. It, it fits. It feels. It's definitely far superior than the prequels, but it's not as great as the original trilogy mm-hmm. or Episode Seven. Yeah. Uh, so, I yeah, I think there's room. There's a lot. I mean, we talked about. I feel like we focused a lot on almost the negative aspects of mm-hmm. Rogue One, but there's a lot of positives oh, of absolutely. it too. Um, like you said, the action, the space battles, uh, some of the characterizations, uh, just the way they went about it. Third act is amazing, but it's still not enough to be like, well, that's, that was better than the other ones. Definitely. That's so, a good way to say it. What's number four? Number four is number four. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a new hope. Just want to make sure I read my Roman numerals yes. correctly. That's how I listed them. Uh, it, the big the big part of this is um the timelessness of everything and it comes from to me it comes from i think what i heard one person describe as used furniture in episode four not nothing is shiny nothing is clean there's sand everywhere the millennium falcon i hate sand well yeah exactly (laughs) the the falcon is beaten to heck uh, and Luke even describes like this is a hunk of junk. Like he's not in awe of this spacecraft. Uh, you know, it breaks down. Um, the Death Star is this looming thing. Lord Vader is still an unknown quantity, but from what we can tell, he's the, this dark enforcer of the of the Empire. And then you know, just the the emotional thread of hope and uh, underdogs overcoming the you know, the established order. Make it great. Yeah. Mine is episode six, Return of the Jedi. Uh, for me, it's, it's super strong. Uh, really great movie. Uh, super enjoyable. Great ending to the trilogy. Uh, but it, it just it doesn't do as much for me as uh, the other three movies mm-hmm. that are left. Uh, so... Still a really good movie, but for me, I think I can't have really pinpoint why I don't like it as much as the other three. But there's just something about it that like these other these other three I like more. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so number three then yes. for me uh, is actually Episode Six. Uh, it's Star Wars perfected. I think it takes all of the elements of four and five um lightsaber battles death star blowing up space and uh ground combat combines them into a movie gives them all equal time um serves up a great story but because because this is star wars at its most pop culturally cult culturally um and when i look at the ewoks (laughs) as as an adult it's hard to hard it's to hard justify. to it's hard to justify their inclusion as cute as they are when you know that the original um premise was supposed to be Kashyyyk and yeah. those were supposed to be Wookiees. So uh it it does it doesn't age well when you learn some backstory right. of I didn't want to bring them up cuz I know it's a it's a sore subject for a lot of people whether or not you should like them or not but the Ewoks? Yeah. Oh, I I still like them. They're, yeah. they're great, but... Uh, yeah, my number three is A New Hope. Uh, this was my number two, I believe, last time we did the poll. Okay. Um, but I still think it is a great entry point. It's a 
it's a near perfect way to start off uh, this universe. Uh, you get great performances by Mark Hamill, uh, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford, including Alec Guinness as well. Um, there's just there's there's so many things to like about it. The biggest complaint I have with it is that the Obi Wan Darth Vader fight is just so bad because <laughs> uh, it's barely a fight at all. <laughs> it's just two men swinging sticks. Um, but the rest of the movie uh, is so good. Uh, you get to see the final run, get mm-hmm. the Death Star. It's gonna. I think it's gonna mean even more now after Rogue One. Uh, it'll probably be elevated even a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think it is a near perfect star Wars movie. Totally. Uh, number two, um, episode seven. Uh, I loved it. Abs like unconditionally. Um, it is, it's star Wars perfected, but it's also star Wars of the past today. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a lot of ways. Um, the performances by everyone is off the charts from Carrie Fisher to Harrison Ford to, John Boyega and Daisy Ridley and uh, Oscar Isaac. Isaac. Oscar Isaac, yes. Um, as well as the gut-wrenching f- feeling of knowing Han Solo lost his son to the dark side and then Han Solo lost himself to his son trying to save him. That 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 hook uh, still gets me to this day. Um, and then also, it was... It connected with people like fans mm-hmm. of the entire tri- the, the entire saga because it knew you were waiting for this it knew you wanted this and uh it, it brought out the fun um uh in every scene yeah uh my number two is empire strikes back uh, i know it's a lot of people's number one uh which obviously it gives away my number one is episode seven sure. but i'll get to that a little bit uh empire i think it is just i mean it's re- it's regarded as one of if not the best uh sequels of all time it definitely earns that that right uh from just developing all the characters even further um even pushing relationships that weren't necessarily established in a new hope building on them off screen and then just bringing us right into it it doesn't it feels natural in a way that Mm -hmm. a lot of sequels that progression is not the same um you get uh, a lot of crazy stuff in the end with, you know, with Lando coming back, saving Luke, the I'm your father reveal, uh, Han being frozen. Uh, there's just, there's a lot. It's, it's a jam packed third act and it pays off in every single way. Uh, and just, it leads perfectly. It sets you up wanting so much more uh, for Return of the Jedi. Um, and like, but it's still a satisfying movie in and of itself. We're like, okay, this story was told and I'm happy about it. Yeah. This, um, so I guess my number one is spoiled. Num- episode five. Uh, and you, I mean, you, you said it really well. Uh, it, if episode six was Star Wars perfected in pop culture, this one was the one that, you know, made everyone say, oh, it's not a one hit wonder. And like you said, th- the first time we get to see how what the crawl does, what the time jump does, mm-hmm. you can you don't have to worry about the in betweens. You can you can build these inside jokes, these references to things that have happened in the past that 
you can be like, I don't get what they're talking about, but they said it's kind of funny, <laughs> and you know, I'm I'm totally in. Um, it obviously gives you the most famous uh, Star Wars relationship quote: "I love you, and I know." Um, <laughs> it's great to see the. It's great to see the Jedi mythos uh, presented uh, by Yoda. This weird creature that I can't imagine anyone thought was uh, the Jedi Master Luke is seeking. Um, obviously, the plot reveal, it, it pushed the bounds of Star Wars in so many different directions. Um, then it, and it was just unapologetically the next chapter in George Lucas's saga. So that, that's what has it at my number one. Um, so... Why is episode seven the <laughs> top of your list? Episode, well, I mean, I've stated a lot of times before that I grew up watching Star Wars, but it wasn't like my, it wasn't my franchise. Sure. I didn't have that connection to it that a lot of people have uh, throughout countless generations. Uh, everybody has their own, you know, starting point with Star Wars for a lot of, uh, like, people like, our, like my parents, that would be, the original trilogy for mm-hmm. people our age normally it's closer to the prequels and that's why maybe our generation somebody like colton who we had on before is a prequel uh, defender to a certain degree yeah. um just because of that connection they have those memories and that fondness uh and the force awakens for me was the one that brought everything back uh it lit that star wars fire back in me i was looking forward to a force awakens but i wasn't like Oh, oh, this like if you would have asked me that year in 2015, what's my most anticipated movie? I would have told you Mockingjay Part Two probably, yeah, or Avengers uh, Two, and both of them I like a lot less th- in comparison to Star Wars Episode Seven because I think it's just so strong from a story perspective, from a mm-hmm. character perspective, even almost stronger because you introduce all these new characters that are fully fleshed out. Uh, you bring back original uh, trilogy members who are, it's just great to see them again, introduce new planets, bring back old concepts. Uh, the villain of Kylo, he's the most complicated villain we've had, arguably. Um, I mean, it's comparison to Vader obvi- is uh, obvious, but it was, it's the movie that got me back into star Wars yeah. and like made me want to, like cl- like closely follow this franchise again, watch the Clone Wars, watch all these extended like canonized stuff, uh, and just keep up on all the news. So that's why I can speculate about oh who's this, who's this, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, is Ray Kenobi, is Ray Skywalker, is like what all that means. And yeah, it leaves all those questions open. One, it, it leaves you wanting more. But that final shot of Luke Skywalker finally being back, you're just like yes, yeah, I'm ready. Let's do this. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a ton of reasons why it's yeah. my favorite. I but. mean, that marketing reaches out and grabs you, uh, even if you have a you know a an like a a slightly sketchy past with Star Wars. Right. I mean, and then it from the very beginning, as soon as Finn and Poe, you know, become friends, like, and you're just like, like they. I think the quote is, oh, "We're doing this." And then yeah. you know you're in the you're in the theater going yeah oh yeah we're yeah, doing this. we're doing this and then it's a nonstop thrill ride yeah like all the way through I I know that some people don't like it as much because it borrows a lot of like 
elements from the original trilogy, mm-hmm. specifically A New Hope. Um, but I think it's almost, I look at it as more of like a greatest hits of the original trilogy in modern day. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, because okay. it, it, borrows, it borrows so much from all the movies, uh, from just story <laughs> elements, but then you have the updated visual effects that look amazing. Uh, so I don't, I don't like, I don't count that against it because it's borrowing from what was already successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it does what a Star Wars movie should do uh, in every sense. Yeah. Uh, for me, so yeah, it's my favorite. Definitely. But we are running extremely long on time, so we're going to wrap this up rather quickly. Um, during our time, we'll be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything we covered by us at Friends and Film, where you receive updates on the podcast, movies, and more. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can follow me, Josh, at Straley Strong. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, if you want to be a real friend of the show, head over to iTunes, give us a five-star review with comments, telling us what we did good, what we could do better on. Uh, just let us know. Uh, before we sign off, uh, we have one more episode coming out in 2016 before we turn the year. Uh, what are we going to be covering, Josh? We're going to be covering Assassin's Creed. A lot of movies, potentially. Oh, okay. So we're, we're going we're gonna to cover Assassin's Creed uh, for sure. Passengers most likely as well. Right. Uh, and then if we both get to it, we may also do a mini review of Manchester by the Sea. Yes. So uh, lots of uh, stuff Lots of good movies, hopefully, fingers crossed, to end the year out uh, after coming off of Rogue One. But, uh, Josh, any last words? Hey, thanks for stopping by, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends from a Podcast. Be sure to come back next week for reviews of a lot of movies. So be sure to tune in to find out what those are. 